The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo. In light of findings that 74% of all B2B and B2C buyers do their own research online before making a purchase, it's time for you to better understand how your customers make their purchasing decisions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place because it's true, you are. Let's see what the buzz on the street is. Well, I found a quote from Seth Godin. I'm a subscriber to his daily blog. Sometimes it's three sentences. Sometimes it's three paragraphs. It's never three pages. And it's always interesting. I don't know how he pumps out so many a week. But let's see what the buzz is today. Okay, he says, finding new ways, more clever ways to interrupt people doesn't work. Okay. Anybody doesn't know Seth Godin, born in 1960. He's a young one, American author, entrepreneur, marketer, public speaker. He's the author of 17 books, including Tribes and Lynchpin, Purple Cow, only sold 150,000 copies, 23 print runs in its first, first two years. Oh my goodness. So that aside, let's see what we're talking about today. Okay, we're talking to you, our listeners around the world. This is Think Big, Work Small, and our focus is SMEs. That's small to mid-sized enterprises. If the word enterprise scares you and it's too big or you're aspiring to it, we can just say SMB, small to mid-sized businesses. You could be anywhere from a startup to a medium size around for a couple of years to almost huge. So that's who we want to speak to. So your customers and your prospects are talking to you. Many may be talking about you. We can only hope if they're talking about you. It's all positive and glowing and wonderful. Where are they doing it today? They're probably doing it online. Wouldn't it be great if you can guide those conversations to your advantage, be part of the conversation? Well, we have a couple of ways we're going to talk about today. One, one you can use existing content about your company. No, Kevin, my mic is fine and I'm, I'm not low. My mic is right where it's supposed to be. You can use existing content about your company, custom reviews, user-generated content, and you can create an engaging, approachable space where people can reach out and start a conversation with you. Then you use that platform to build and nurture long-term, positive, glowing, wonderful, loyal relationships. That's what it's really all about. So our episode today is called Give Me Space, SME Social Conversations with Customers, and we could say, and with prospects as well, anybody and everybody. Let me tell you who our panelists are, and then we'll get going. First up, I'm welcoming back Lisa Durrett. Vice President and Director of Digital Services at a company called Legacy Worldwide. Joining us also another returning panelist, Sela Masirian, and her last name is M-I-S-S-I-R-I-A-N. If you want to enter a spelling bee, you should be able to, to spell that. <laughs> VP of Marketing, Strategy, and Business Development at Brown Bag Marketing. Love that name. And rounding out the panel, another returning panelist, Tara Mead. 
Director of Global Indirect Channels at SAP, Global Indirect Channels Partner, and SME Marketing. These ladies know their stuff. So, Lisa Durrett, pleased to have you back. And Lisa has found us a wonderful quote from an author of the book, The New Influencers. His name is Paul Gillen, G-I-L-L-I-N. You might say Gillen. He's a writer, speaker, and online marketing consultant. For nearly 20 years, he was a print journalist, but aha, he fell in love with the Internet and made the switch to all digital back in 1999. Here's the quote. Conventional marketing wisdom long held that a dissatisfied customer tells 10 people, but in the new age of social media, he or she has the tools to tell 10 million. I think that really sets us up very well. Lisa Durrett, how are you? I'm good, Bonnie. Glad to be back. Thank you. Glad to have you back. Love the quote. It's about the power, the amplification. Talk to me. How does this relate to our topic, talking about give me the space to have good conversations with customers and prospects? Lisa? Well, I think that says it all, right? I mean, I think the goal for everybody should be to have those conversations, meaning it's a two-way street. So in the past, you know, just like it said, if somebody wasn't happy, they walked out of your place of business or hung up the phone with you, they'd probably tell their friend or their family. But now all they have to do is open up their computer or pull out their phone and they're on Twitter and they're on Facebook and they're on Snapchat and they're spreading the word like wildfire. So the best thing you can do is, you know, use those tools to your advantage and be responsive and have those conversations um, we have clients that do that. They follow our our guidance to to start responding that way, and we see huge success and customer satisfaction goes way up. Let me ask I you a question, what Lisa. Customers really they, want to, want to know is that they're just being heard. <laughs> they they want to. And let me ask you: Are there any companies you've come across, Lisa, who are still afraid to dip their toe in the proverbial pool uh, or maybe the deep end of social media, knowing? What Paul Gillen said is right, that every time you tweet, every time you post, every time you post a picture or a phrase or a comment, 10 million people might instantly see it if you're lucky or if not so lucky. Is there a fear factor still involved in, in entering social, Lisa? I think there are, especially among, you know, maybe the smaller businesses. I think they're concerned about that. Um, you know, and what we tell them is... It, First of all, if you're concerned about that, then then maybe we need to have a conversation about what makes you so scared. Is there is there reasons behind there that that are justified? And if so, let's help you fix that so that you can then you know alleviate that fear and and deal with this. But the customers and the clients that we have that we you know introduce them to social and the power of social and the power you know of social media as a customer service um, mm-hmm. tool. Um, very quickly are, are singing the praises of it. Um, many Good. prefer it and, and show the benefit of doing that than the traditional methods of having somebody call and then you have to call them back. It's quicker, it's visible, and the customers are quick to respond um, appreciatively. And if that's on social, then that's even better. That's a better tool for them to keep using. Absolutely. It's it's a big ramp up, I know. There's a, a learning curve, there's a training curve in terms of what to say, where to say it, when to say it. And we'll be talking mm-hmm. about that with you and Sela and Tara. What is the best space for a particular business or a particular industry or a particular niche or maybe just a particular product and service line you're starting to promote? Where do you find the space to invite people to have that conversation. Lisa, thank you for mm-hmm. the great kickoff to our conversation. Great quote, by the way. And now let's turn to Sela Masirian at Brown Bag Marketing. And Sela has picked a quote from a gentleman named Jay Bayer, B-A-E-R. He's the author of a book called Utility, Y-O-U. 
T-I-L-I-T-Y. He only has 234,000 followers on Twitter. <laughs> I don't know if Selen knew that. Uh, Jay Bear is a young kid. He's, he's younger than who would I just quote uh, Seth Godin. He's so young. He's uh, born in 1969. To me, that's a baby. He's an American marketing consultant, speaker, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Utility. He is the founder of five companies, so I guess he's been there. He has worked with over 700 brands, including some of the biggies, 25 of the Fortune 1000, Nike, Cold Stone Creamery, Sony, ConocoPhillips, my goodness. He's, his company, his blog is ranked among the world's top marketing resources, and he was named number three social media blog in the world by Social Media Examiner. And I know who started Social Media Examiner, and his brother was, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, I'll look it up in a minute. His brother was a guest on one of our Game Changers shows a couple years ago. Not Jay Bayer, but the brother of the founder of Social Media Examiner. Here's the quote. I know you're all dying to hear this. Focus on how to be social, not how to do social. Sela Masarian, welcome back. How have you been? Good afternoon. I'm doing well, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Did you know that Jay Bear had almost 235,000 followers? That's a lot, Sella. I did. He's kind of a big shot. And it's really funny because all of us that have sort of grown up in B2B social have been in and around Jay as he's spoken in conferences and, you know, seen his influence grow. And, uh, and he's killing it. But he's got really smart things to say. And I like this quote in particular because it's very simple but loaded with meaning. Absolutely. So so what would your advice be to SMEs who are listening? If, if they could only stay for just a couple of minutes uh, and you had to say to them, be social, not do social, what would, what would hang on that quote that you would add on to it to tell them what not to do and what to do? Sela? Yeah, I would say that's good news for them, particularly as, you know, we make assumptions that they probably have less um, resources and less budgets, right? I mean, they're going to have, they're not going to have a social media department of 50 young bucks doing all these things. Um, so if you think about the distinction between being social and doing social, I would say the doing social part is a lot of the mechanical side of it. It's the tools, it's the data, it's the monitoring. Um, but being social is really that conversation, and that just takes one human. So I, I think it's a bit of a relief for small businesses to understand that they don't have to um, play like the big dogs play. I mean, there's a time and place for these types of um, infrastructures, but I think that ultimately at the end of the day, it's about being social, which, which really is to what Lisa said, it's a two-way street, it's a two-way conversation. I think that's the important part. Uh, what's interesting is, and we'll get into this later, what happens when, as I mentioned in my opening, you're hoping the conversation about you is positive and wonderful and will attract people who want to know you and want to do business with you versus OMG and they're slamming you. And we all, I assume you've all heard about that negative feedback on the Pepsi ad with Kendall Jenner that yeah, was just, just pulled. Social amplification was humongous. People were offended on so many levels. We had a discussion uh, on one of the team calls I was on this morning, and some people got why it was pulled, and others said, really? Amplification? People are yelling and screaming. (laughs) Do they really care? And the rest of us were saying, yeah, they do. And my comment was not to be shallow, but I was just annoyed that that, uh, Kendall Jenner and and the cop in the the ad were so skinny. I mean, don't... (laughs) Do real people, really people really look like that? So that was part of the social conversation I silently had with myself. So thank you very much, Sella. Really appreciate that. 
And now let's turn to our third panelist. She's waiting patiently. She has another very interesting quote. It's Tara Mead at SAP, indirect Global Indirect Channels Partner in SME Marketing. And Tara has brought us a quote from a gentleman named John Munsell or Munsell. He is the CEO and co-founder of a company called Bazooka, B-I-Z-Z-U-K-A. Not the way we spelled it when it was on Bubblegum. It was B-A-Z-O-O-K-A. I think you're all too young to remember Bazooka Bubblegum, but I do. Uh, John Munsell leads a company that was named by Inc. Magazine as one of the fastest growing privately held businesses in the country in 2010. That wasn't enough. In 2011, that wasn't enough. And in 2012, he and his team served more than 800 customers in 43 states and three companies. Uh, It's grown in scope. I'm trying to read quickly here. It's an organization that is people-focused and thrives on positive, here we go, customer-first relationships. So he excels in this. And here is the quote Tara has selected from John Munsell. If content is king, then conversation is queen. I bow down. I'm waiting for the royal purple robes to appear. Tara Mead, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Talk to me about this. Interesting and, and another way of looking at our topic. So content king, conversation queen. Who's really ruling the roost here? Yeah, I think it's it, it's very similar to what the uh, the ladies have already mentioned, that really you can't have one without without the other, that you could have great content on your site. But if, if people don't know about it and you're not having that conversation with your customer, that um, it's not really going to have the impact that you want it to be. So it, it really is. A very much a um, a combined um, a combined uh, program that you really need to have the right content so that you have something of value to talk to your to your customer about. At least in saying it really is that two way street for them to have the conversation because if you don't know what they are are looking for, um, it's going to be very hard to actually keep them engaged. And, and isn't that really the clue? I, I think when you said that, Tara, you're making me think uh, the clue is that you don't always know what they want. You know yeah. what you have. You know what your company makes, your product, your service. But you don't always know what the customer is looking for or the angle, the aspect, the part of what you do that will resonate. So is that conversation a chance to find out how to tweak your content, Tara? Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, this topic, you know, lies very similar to really like the value proposition that um, a small to medium business would have, that it's, you know, it's not about what they can offer, but it's about what their customer needs. And I think finding out what that customer needs, they get that by actually having the conversation. If it's all one-way traffic, you're not really going to know. And obviously, those needs change over time. So those con- uh, those conversations need to be constant, and you need to be obviously paying attention and making sure that, that you, um, in the services and the products that you deliver to your customer, you're constantly changing them to make sure that you're meeting their requirements. Exactly. And and was Steve Jobs the one who said, ladies, I'll throw this out to all three of you. Was Steve Jobs the one who said you have to con- something about convincing the customer to want something before they know they want it? Does anybody remember that quote? I don't, Bonnie, but it sounds Steve Jobby. It sounds very Steve Jobby. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that, Sal. I appreciate that. You made me laugh. That it does sound Steve Jobby. That's absolutely right. Yeah, because 
We didn't know we needed the iPhone. We Who knew they needed an iPad? Really? You needed this thing to carry around? I can't buy a purse anymore if I don't bring my iPad to the store and fit it into the purse and see if there's room for the phone and the wallet and a little makeup bag and some Kleenexes and an extra pair of sunglasses. It, it The life, my portable life revolves around my iPad. Who knew that I needed it? And a friend of mine said to me years ago, if you buy one, you're going to fall in love with it. You'll never know how you did without it. And and I said, nah, it's a toy, it's clunky. And she said, go. And I went, of course, she didn't pay for it, but I went and I bought it and I, I, I'm inseparable. I, I, it's next to my bed. Sometimes if I play words with friends late at night, I stick it under the covers on the other side and I just leave it there overnight. So I'm, anyway, who knew that we knew what we needed? We didn't know we knew when a marketer like Steve Jobs wanted us to think that we really needed it. And I think that that's part of the point here is how do you get to those nuggets of wisdom from your customers and prospects? And the answer is you have to engage in a conversation. And that's why we're having this conversation. Off to a good start. Now let's get up close and personal with our panelists. Lisa Durrett, please tell me where you are. No, I don't want the Google coordinates to the roof of your house or your office, but where are you? That's too much of a conversation. Uh, when you're calling for help, 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 they're coming to get me. Lisa, where where are you today in general, and what are you drinking that makes you happy, or what would you rather be drinking? Go ahead. Uh, I'm in Atlanta. I'm actually in a, just outside the city in, a, in an area called Duluth. Um, you know, I think a, what I'd rather be drinking is a whole other conversation, <laughs> but um, I am trying, you know, I'm on a health kick everybody is these days, trying to find healthy alternatives to um, coffee, which has been my um, crutch every day. <laughs> and so I'm actually experimenting with um, matcha. I'm not sure if you're ah. familiar with that, but it's a uh, Yeah, but tell me, tell me what you, what is it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just um, supposed to be better for you, right? It's a, uh, but it gives me the energy boost that I like from coffee, but without, you know, feeling the I guess the downturn of caffeine, right? The jitters, and it's just supposed to be overall, you know, a healthier alternative for you. So that's something I'm giving a shot to. It's an acquired taste, but I'm liking it. And what does it taste like? Is it is it bitter? I'm looking here. Matcha green tea no, powder, matcha it, on Wikipedia. What is what is it, it taste? It's like? kind yeah. of grassy, right? Fresh and clean and grassy. I'm I'm experimenting different ways to make it. Um, I haven't tried the um, latte yet. I'm not sure about any kind of soy or milk with it, but I might give that a try. Very interesting. Well, there's a how to enjoy uh, matcha on Tivana, T-E-A-V-A-N-A dot com. You might want to go check that out. Very interesting. We haven't heard a matcha story in a long time. Thank you very much. I'm <laughs> sorry. I had, I had to, I'm so sorry. Sela, I will try to be serious. Sela Masirian, love to have you tell us approximately where you are in the world and... What are you drinking? So, yeah, I'm also in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, we are in a, a little part of town called Buckhead, so sort of the heart of the district, city district here. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually having a bit of a busy day, so I pulled this sort of like protein shake meal replacement thing out of my filing cabinet. So, gotta tell you, it's really not either that tasty or exciting, <laughs> but it'll do. Okay, it'll do. That's the good thing about it. Thank you, as long as it keeps you going. And Tara, That's Mead, right. where are you today, and what are you drinking, or what would you rather be drinking? <laughs> so I am in a little town called Benton in Oxfordshire, so it's about an hour from um, 
uh, London, and I recently found out an interesting fact about the little village that I live in, is that it, it has a church, and the church has famously two 11s. It's got two Roman numerals. It's Roman numerals, but the person who in the 17th century was, was putting the um, clock face together actually put the nine the wrong way around. So it's X1 instead of 1X. And famously, during the Second World War, um, the English, uh, Germany's English-speaking propaganda broadcaster called Lord Haha um, said he was going to be, there was going to be an air raid on the airfield next to the village whose clock has two 11s, and a Royal Air Force um, site very close to where I live now was bombed soon afterwards. So I thought you might find that interesting story. So it's the, the, I, live in the, I live in the town with a clock with two 11s. And because as you you may hear from my voice, I have a little bit of a cold, and um, English uh, people that live in England uh, to get rid of colds drink tea. So I'm drinking a cup of PG Tips, which is a a nice uh, English uh, tea, having a quite strong. And as English people say, if you have your tea quite strong, you have builder's tea. So I'm having a cup of English builder's tea. Wow, various English builders tea. We had uh, somebody from Britain on the show a couple of years ago, Tara, and when yeah. one of the other panelists was talking about she was drinking tea from a, a tea bag, he said, tea bags, ah, oh, he said, that's what Americans do. That's just dusty tea. <laughs> How can you drink that dusty tea? We had another British gentleman who told us in explicit details that his mother had taught him how to make the perfect cup of tea. He told us the millimeter thickness of the perfect bone china teacup and the exact to the to the decimal how hot the water had to be and how many tea (laughs) leaves you had to put in the strainer and what kind of strainer and how long you steeped the tea before you drank the tea. So we have been instructed. So now we have builder's tea. That's very very interesting thank you yeah. as you you You're ladies may welcome. know because you've been out with me before they don't let me near caffeine on radio show days and you all know why so i'm just having cool clear water in a cool clear mug with a pink straw because i am hoping the rain will go away here on the north shore of long island in new york it's raining all day but thank goodness we haven't had the threat of thunderstorms Ooh, thunderstorms in april how interesting so we're getting a lot of rain that hopefully will make the mayflowers bloom and blossom any day now i can't wait the daffodils came out about a month ago and then we had freezing temperatures and snow and the daffodils lay down their sorry little heads on the ground and looked up and said to everybody who walked by why me why me so <laughs> they're just looking kind of sad but the pansies are people are buying pansies and they're they seem to be doing well the pear trees are blooming and i hear washington already had the cherry blossom blossom blossoming so there so we are going to see spring here eventually so my pink straw is for sunshine soon please i'm bonnie d graham very happy to be here speaking with lisa durrett Sela Masirian, and tara mead i think i'm pronouncing everybody's names the way they wish everybody would pronounce them our topic is just what we're doing today conversations but we're talking about social media conversations with your customers your prospects anybody you want to reach at the right time in the right place with the right information about your products or services or find out what they need from you so that maybe you can tweak your content to meet their needs. It's a big equation. It's important for SMEs, small to mid-sized enterprises, SMBs, small to mid-sized businesses. And my three panelists are experts on this topic. So we're all going to learn from them together. And a shout out to the series sponsor, 
Lorraine Maurice couldn't be with us today, but shout out, Lorraine. We miss you, and we hope you're doing something wonderful today. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. When we come back, Lisa Durrett at Legacy Worldwide will kick off the roundtable with me, and we're going to start with something very interesting. So all I will say is Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Studies have shown that buyers in today's digital economy are spending more time online than ever before, discovering and researching products and services. As a result, it is critical for businesses like yours to learn how to locate and engage with prospects and customers in this digital space. Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers explores the impact of changing digital economy on small to medium-sized businesses. We'll define the challenges SMEs face to proactively connect with buyers on their digital journey and share proven strategies to put into action to be successful. Tune in to hear the experiences and insights of top sales and marketing thought leaders and practitioners as they discuss how the digital economy is reshaping the SME business world. Think Big, Work Small, presented by SAP, every Thursday on the Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers. And here we are. My three Game Changers today are Lisa Durrett, Sela Masirian, and Tara Mead. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and we're talking about social media conversations. Give me space. You need space to invite the right people in to talk to you to tell you what's on their mind. Are they getting what you are about, your content? Do you need to learn from them? It is, as I believe Lisa said earlier, a two-way conversation. If you hear nothing else from us today, that's what you need to learn. So we're going to start the roundtable here with some comments that uh, Lisa Durrett at Legacy Worldwide sent me in advance. And Lisa wants to talk about the following. Let me introduce it for her. She says, social review websites. I said social review. Everybody think about that. Social review websites are a great way to engage with customers and to leverage user-generated content. Let me read one more line here. Sites like Yelp, with 60 million registered users and over 20 million reviews posted on the site, are dominant in this space. Lisa, please tell us more. Sure. So, um, you know, a lot of small businesses kind of wonder, how can we engage with our customers? Where do we start? Um, you know, or you mentioned at the beginning, you know, some are afraid to even go there because they don't know what to do or they're afraid to have that conversation. But here's the thing. Your customers are going to have that conversation with or without you. So you might as well get involved with it. Um, and so this, the um, social review sites are a great way to get started if you're just not sure how you want to do it or where to engage or if you're afraid that you don't have the time to fully commit to something like a Facebook or a Twitter. Um, so customers are out there. They're going to restaurants. They're going to shops. They're going wherever they, they go and experience things, and they are very quick to put their thoughts out there, either for something positive that occurred 
or something negative that occurred. And so if you are engaged in those sites along with them, you can have that conversation in real time or near real time, um, thanking people for positive comments, reacting and resolving negative comments, or sometimes they may even provide feedback to you on, you know, they tried a product or they tried your 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 business and, hey, here's a suggestion. So I think customers and clients nowadays have inserted themselves into into your business, into your product development, and they expect that their feedback is going to be reacted to. And so I think that's a good thing. I mean, I think that you can take content, um, whether it's comments from somebody or if they upload a video of themselves enjoying your product or if they make a video with suggestions on how to improve your product. What a what better way? I mean, save money from, you know, focus groups and just go to the people who are using it in real time. Thank you very much, Lisa. Great intro to this part of the conversation. Let's hear what Sella Masurian at Brown Bag Marketing has to say about social review websites. Good, bad, ugly. Trust them, don't trust them. What do you think? Yeah, good, good. I think it's just one other way of listening to your market, listening to your customers. So in all that, I think it's good. Uh, you brought up an interesting topic around trust. So, you know, some are better than others. Um, mm-hmm. There's always some trolls and you've got to be a little bit discerning. Um, but I want to comment specifically on, you know, when you do have a bad review, and I think that this is really um, can happen very easily for both the largest of enterprises and the smallest of businesses, right? And so um, our company, you know, advises all of our clients, and it's a, it's a very formulaic response. It's actually a four-step process. Ironically, it's dubbed late, but the point is to not actually be late. So the first thing is to, to listen to that bad review, make sure you kind of really understand as much as you can what they're saying. And then the second thing is apologize. Uh, I think that goes a long way. I don't think brands do that often enough. Um, and then thirdly, I think the, the best thing is to think about, you know, what, what's appropriate. Show off your kind of human side as a business. And fourth is, is execute and, and not to do that in a, in a lag, but to do that, you know, in a quick fashion really goes a long way to address that negative sentiment and negative comments. And sometimes you can actually turn that around to, ge- you know, generate an advocate in the end. Thank you very much. That would be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? Let's get Tara Mead to chime in. Unless, Tara, what have you observed? Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's similar to um, what you were saying, um, Bonnie, about bringing your iPhone uh, out before you actually make a purchase, that, you know, these sites aren't going to go away. So, you you know, you need to you need to make them work for you. And I agree exactly what, what Stella is saying, is that, you know, you, you can't ignore any negative feedback, but it's, it's how you... Um, and, you know, hopefully all, you know, most of the feedback won't be negative, but if it is, it, it, it's how you, you act on that with grace and authority and actually fix it so that it won't happen again. So, and I think as, as, you know, people will see that as something, you know, because everybody's human and everybody knows everybody is human, but it, it, it's how we react to that. And, and, and I agree, sometimes people try to, to cover things up rather than actually saying, you know, hands up, we did that wrong, but this is how we're going to fix it and not happen again. And I think you would get a lot, uh, you know, companies would get a lot more kudos and uh, gravitas in, in their, uh, their customer relationships by actually um, doing that. Thank you very much. I'm going to circle around to Lisa and ask if you have anything you want to add. No, I agree with what everybody's saying. And I think the thing for businesses to keep in mind is, you know what, you know, things happen, right? I mean, just because you get a negative comment that might come through, 
um, to everyone's point, don't don't run from it, don't hide from it, engage with them, um, resolve it quickly, and and turn that into you know a, a win. Make it make you might end up having a customer who's even more committed to your brand than they were beforehand, simply because um, you addressed their problem, you dealt with their problem, um, and admitted to it. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to share an anecdote with the three of you and just get your quick response before I move on to a topic in Sella's list. Uh, went out with a couple of couples about a year ago last summer and was trying to pick a restaurant that was close enough to everybody and it was interesting and, and had good food. And I suggested a restaurant and one of the couples came back and said, absolutely not. And I said, but I was there recently and loved it. She said, oh, no, I went on Yelp. The reviews are horrible. And I said, well, how many reviews did you read? She said, well, I read 30 reviews. And they were all negative. And I said, but I'm a real human being. You know me. You've been to dinner with me. I wouldn't pick a, a lousy bow wow of a restaurant. And she said, absolutely not. It, I read it on Yelp. We're not going there. Don't ask us to go there. We won't go. And she was absolutely adamant. And I... <laughs> I wanted, who was it, Tara just talked about trust or Sella when I mentioned it. I wanted them to trust me as a live human being customer. They knew and they knew well and they were relying completely. So I don't know, that's a, is that a backfire on, on using reviews? So just let's quickly go around the table, a yes or no. And what would you do if you were the business that had that many negative reviews, Lisa? I mean, if I had a client that had that many negative reviews, I'd have to, you know, I, I kind of question whether they were engaging in that conversation. It sounds to me like they weren't. Um, you know, I do, I, I, I can agree that I think some people have gone overboard in, in looking solely on review sites and going only by what they see. Um, I'm not sure how to, <laughs> how, to, how to change that, but, you know, like I said, if that was my client, I'd have to take a deeper look and see. It sounds like somebody would not or is not um, engaging in that conversation. I think you're probably right, and I bet that happens more often than not. Sela, any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's, you have to take it case by case. I mean, in, in extreme cases, you, you know, you can always shut down the business and rebrand, right? I mean, at some point, you just got to say, maybe you're not doing something right here. But I also think there's ways <laughs> to work around negative sentiment. And, you know, people call it content suppression or, you know, basically you publish enough positive content that it kind of suppresses the negative content down the, the search results or whatever, what have you. Um, and so that's a lot of work. It's really laborious. But if you believe in your business and brand and you have a lot of folks like yourself, Bonnie, that love the business, you know, you would really partner with them one by one to really create those stories and eventually the positive outweighs the negative. But I, I, I think these sites are extremely influential and it's a very generational thing too. I think the younger generations don't purchase anything without looking at reviews. You know, they don't go yes. to a restaurant without looking at reviews and so we have to take it more and more seriously. Thank you very much. And Tara, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's funny and, and Bonnie, I actually had the, the, the opposite happen. So actually out for dinner with, with Lorraine in a in a town we both didn't know and we went to a restaurant that had, you know, spectacular reviews but actually it wasn't that good. It was to your point a love at a bow wow restaurant and it's like you know, it's the other side of it, right? So that obviously there could have been friends of the owner that was, you know, propping it up. So I think, you know, these review sites have to be taken with, you know, some you know, it's like the fake news and all of that wonderful stuff we're hearing at the moment in the media, right? That, you know, oh, we yeah. need to take them as just one point of reference. It cannot be the only thing. So, you know, if we just need to take it as a, as a, um, as one element of the balanced approach and not just be, it's, it's, um, that's the only, um, that's the only bit of tr- truth that's out there. 
Thank you. I'm so glad you you flipped the coin on that one, Tara, because, yes, it could be friends of the owner who are saying, this place is great, and you're thinking, what? Okay. Really, yes, when when you want the real person who's really been there. Interesting. I just wanted to do a point-counterpoint there. Thank you all. Sela, I'm looking at your notes you sent me before the show, and let's talk about the actual content. I'm going to read a statement and have you run with it. Building any content, any content is easy. Building the right content that creates the right conversations with the right people. That, I'm going to take away the word challenge and say that's the $64 million question or challenge. How does a business do it, Sella? Yeah, I, um, well, this is what keeps folks like us employed. So I'm glad it's a bit of a challenge, but it's, um, it, 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 you're right. It's, it's easy to sort of say anything. It's harder to say something that's thoughtful and helpful and, and moves potential buyers along the funnel or um, gets your existing customers to even love you more. So I think that the way you do that is you, you know, pick up certain cues from the crowd and that crowd might be prospects, it might be existing clients. Um, and you can pick up cues in lots of ways. It can come from social listening. I think somebody mentioned that. It can come from, you know, um, live meets. It can come from your, your best um, folks in your organization, whether they're sales or customer service. They're often a fantastic bridge between you, the content creator, and what your customers or prospects wants to hear. So I think that, um, you know, it, it, it's true. I mean, it's anybody can put pen to paper, but um, doing great content that helps to convert, as we say, um, has to, you know, do all those things. It has to sort of meet people at the right time at the right place. I think if you focus on being helpful, I think you focus on really understanding what people are talking about and you you gently enter their conversation instead of forcing your own conversation. I think these are all the best practices that you need to do. So it's definitely doable. It's just not as um, some people are flipping about it and it's not that easy. It is not that easy indeed. And let's get Tara. Tara, your thoughts on this, please. Creating that content and knowing when to use it. It's not just having it in the in the bank. It's when do you use it and where. Tara, thoughts, please? Exactly. So it's, it's, as you say, not only having the right content and, you know, original content as well, right? That, you know, there's so much content out there. How can, how can our small businesses um, be, be real and authentic? And uh, with their with their with their customers, so I think you know we're, you're you're going to be the best person at being you, right? And I think that's what the small businesses have to be: be true to their own um, views and their own opinions, and you know use that as their as their basis to go out to their customers. Because I think people will very very um, quickly see through if they're going to be just sort of creating content with with with, with other means. So I think certainly. Um, any anybody that's on the on the social, um, they, they need to sort of find out, you know. And this comes through that conversation. Where where are their are their customers? Are you know? Is it a a, um, a younger crowd that might be on Instagram and, and, and other types of media, or maybe mm-hmm. slightly older that might be on on LinkedIn and um, Twitter or Facebook, etc. And once they they find that, then they can start having those conversations with them, sort of moving moving the process along. But you know, what's what's great about social Social media in you know in 2017 is that there is so much wonderful tools out there um, available, many of them for free for small businesses to be able to really be the, the masters of own destiny in relation to the amount of content that they can uh, curate and use and uh, be able to um, do uh, listening um, themselves. So they, there really is a lot available for very limited cost to be able to give them a lot of uh, content that they can then share with their customers. Interesting. I, I think uh, it has to be a mindset, and ladies tell me if I'm right, a mindset of a small company saying, 
We may not know how to do this yet. We need to learn. Maybe we need to use some tools. Maybe we need to buy some support. Maybe we just need to watch and think and analyze what we're seeing with our competitors before we dive in. Would that be a good approach, uh, Tara? What do you think? That that mindful waiting and listening and looking? What do you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think before anybody, you know, and I think uh, Lisa's mentioned it earlier, you know, there's a level of potential nervousness before people jump into the, the social media pool, if you will. So it's that listening and then, um, you know, starting very carefully your, your, um, your, your communication out there. I think that is a very, a very good uh, plan. Yeah. Good. Let's circle around to Lisa Durrett. Lisa, what do you think about content, right time, right place, right message? What do you think? Um, uh, all the three, key threes, right? You, you got to have it at the right time. You got to have the right content that your customers are looking for. Um, but, you know, I think too. Tara just mentioned or brought back the subject of, of businesses that are afraid to start or you know maybe want to start slowly. Um, and I think to remember too that in this social age that we're in now, I think customers are also forgiving and accepting, right? So if you engage with them and you engage that conversation and you say to them and invite them to have that conversation back, invite them to give you feedback and be part of the process, um, we have clients that do that and, and their customers really enjoy being part of that process. But getting back to, to content itself, um, again, you can start as slowly and as little as you want and, and kind of go as big as you need. But one thing that I do try to remind our clients is, is more is not necessarily better. So, you know, don't think that you have to just dive in the deep end and start churning out mass quantities of content. Um, I've had clients that, come, that have come to us with libraries full of content and they're just not getting any engagement. It's not generating, it's not moving the needle, um, and you're almost overwhelming your, your customer base. Um, so you just you you truly do have to understand who is my customer, where are they, you know, what is the right content for the channel that they're on as well. Because if you're creating, uh, you know, sales collateral that's essentially print material, but your customers aren't consuming that, then then you're you're spinning your wheel and creating the wrong type of content, and it's not going to be engaged with the right channels where your customers live. Um, so I think that's something to keep in mind. Thank you. And, and we haven't talked about the noise. Noise meaning so many people are trying to sell so many things under the guise or under the wrapper, shall we say, of a good conversation. So I guess there are well-veiled conversations that are really selling messages that are artfully done. There are some that are just annoying in their blatant sales spin. And there are some that are just not sales-oriented, but they are really engaging peer-to-peer, they're engaging with community. So uh, I would hazard to say, uh, panelists, that you're looking for the conversation that does not have a pushy sales message or a pushy call to action. Am I right on that, Lisa? Um, That's correct. Um, I think it was Sila that said, right, learn how to be social, not do social. So it's, it's not rocket science, really. I keep going back to it, but it's engaging in real conversations. You know, don't don't overpress. Don't be silly. Just talk to your customers. Find out what they want. Engage in those conversations. Don't be silly. I like that one. We got to coin that word. I'm going to make a hashtag out of that. Uh, <laughs> let's go back to Sella. Anything you want to add to the Sella before I move on with uh, some interesting topics from Tara? Well, I think if, I think there was a thread here around. Um, you know, if you only have so much 
resource and budget, and you know that content is the way to communicate, you know, where, how do you start, and you don't want to be salesy or certainly lead with everything about yourself. Um, I keep going back to that one guidance around being helpful. If you want to be helpful, it means you've got to actually find out um, what people want help on, which means you have to ask mm-hmm. questions, you have to listen, you actually have to be in your customer's world, and I think that's an excellent place to start. So if I had $10 to work on customer communications and I'm a small business, you know, I would put all that budget towards being helpful. You know, look at the frequently asked questions site on your site. If there's like the same question being asked over and over again, that's your white paper. Or if there's something that, you know, you keep hearing on um, a hashtag conversation on Twitter, then that's what you, you know, start with and as opposed to like your features and benefits. So, you know, maybe just one kind of guiding principle there is to just be helpful. Thank you very much. And let's move on to the two points here, Tara, in your notes. Two I want to come up with. One I'll cover quickly. Uh, do You say customers want to interact with their peers and learn something of value. You might you want to develop an emotional connection with them, but you want to build a community or a forum with groups on Facebook, groups on LinkedIn, perhaps Google communities. Just a quick comment from you on that, Tara, and then I want to go to something else and we'll go around the table. So what do you want to say about building a community? What's the trick to knowing which site should you build that community on or on the mall. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on your customer base. And I think, you know, not many of us are an island, right? And, you know, that um, people are kind of born to, to, to collaborate and, and, and work together. So that I think certainly, in, you know, having a collaboration area, I think for, for your customers shows that you are a company that wants to interact, that it's not just a case of, you know, throwing content out there with no ability to actually communicate back, that the very, the very point of a, a community or, or a forum is that there is all sorts of levels of engagement. And I think you could obviously um, learn a lot from that as well, but also it gives um, your customers an opportunity to, to discuss as well. And I think once you... you start that um, collaborative um, environment, you have the advocacy of those existing customers and probably other customers that will just um, continue because if you're authentic and if you're you're original and you're you're real on those on those sites and you obviously keep them up to date and you know it's really a you know it's a it's a give and get as well, right? You know, you obviously want to get feedback from your customers, but um as I think Stella and Lisa were mentioning as well, you need to give them something too. So it's it's being helpful, um, but also having that environment that they feel um that they can go and discuss with you and with other um uh, people. So I think that would be a good a good uh, place to start. And obviously, you know, um, very simple and easy to do. Thank you, Tara. And the one where I really want to focus and go around the table and have Lisa and Sella chime in on, you say one of the most important conversations you can have with a customer is to ask them, what could we have done differently to improve perhaps onboarding you as a customer, the delivery of the product, maybe in the sales cycle, maybe how we communicate with you, asking what could we have done. That sounds good. It sounds risky. It sounds to me, Tara, that the right person has to ask that question at the right time to the right person at the customer. It sounds to me like it's a minefield, but the payoff could be huge. Tara, why don't you start us with this? and then we'll go around the table, please. Absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, this is this is one of the, the key points and I don't think um, 
uh, any of us really ask ask for it enough, you know. And I, it's just to take it from a personal point of view. We just um, finished a lot of building work in our in our house and paid a significant amount of money to our contractors. And at the end of that process, you know, we had a lot of feedback to give them, but they never asked for any. And it's it's you know, and I think if they had asked for feedback, they would have learned from you know things that we might you know from our experiences that might have helped them in in future jobs. And I think. If you don't ask, you're never going to learn. And if you don't learn, you're going to end up continuing to make the same mistakes. And, you know, you need to be, there has to be a certain amount of humility in that, that you might not necessarily like what is being told back to you, but unless you hear it, um, you're never going to be able to change. So I think that is a, it's a crucial thing that I think all of us probably don't do enough, um, but it's something that if we do those golden nuggets and, and of value. And also, I think it's similar to kind of what we mentioned before about getting that right value proposition with your customer. It's a different type of conversation. You're not having a selling conversation with your customer. You're actually having a, you know, and a really listening to what could we have done better? How could we improve our experience? It becomes a very powerful and motivational um, uh, conversation that can bring your um, customer relationship to a much deeper level. Obviously, it's extremely important that you act on the feedback. There's no point in getting it and not doing it. In the, and the customer then says, well, there's no point in telling these guys they're never going to change. You know, that there needs to, you certainly need to, in you know, act or give reasons why you can't do a particular thing. But I think it's it can really, if done right and executed correctly, could be a very powerful way for you to actually gain further customer insight to make you more successful. Thank you, Tara. Really good words of wisdom and great advice. I'd love to have Lisa Durrett's input, please. Lisa, what do you think? Um, I have to agree 100% with that. I think that goes back to having conversations with your customers. Show them that you are committed to the relationship and that you want to continue to have that relationship with them and that you value their input, um, you know, in continuing to serve them um, and just showing that level of commitment and opening that dialogue with them. Thank you. And let's get Sela Masirian on this. Sela, what do you think? Well, I had a couple of thoughts. I, I think that um, this whole asking gets easier as you do it more. Uh, and, and so I think maybe it's a little scary for companies that don't have that sort of um, discipline. Um, and and I think also this asking can be very impactful when it comes from an executive level as well. I think that sort of sets a tone for a company that shows that they're earnestly wanting to listen. Um, so I think it's one thing when it comes from the, the business person that you've been working with, um, but I think it's quite another when it comes from an executive level. Um, secondly, I think that, you know, people like to talk about themselves. We just know this about human psychology. So um, mm-hmm. you will probably always get an answer. So to me, that's like a, a win-win. I mean, why wouldn't you, you know, you're going to learn, you're going to be able to get some really rich insights that you wouldn't uh, get other, otherwise. And, and then thirdly, I think it's, it's a really cheap way of getting those insights. I mean, we spend a ton of money on on, you know, market research and focus groups. I mean, this is, you know, asking questions via social or, or just to, you know, listen in on certain content areas or conversations. Um, that's all free, you know. And so I, I think these are the great things to do. And I think the more that businesses do it, the more it will be easier for them to continue to do. 
Thank you very much. And of course, we're all talking about the value of the human conversation. We haven't even gotten into the world of chatbots yet, but that's another one. It is time for me to circle around the table to Ms. Durrett and ask Lisa to look into the crystal ball. I'm kind of fond of the year 2020, Lisa. It is hurtling at us three New Year's Eves away. Do you know what you're going to be wearing, where you'll be, and what you're drinking? Don't tell us right now. Surprise us. Lisa, what will be different about this conversation if we met again? And I hope we meet again many times before. Or then, we'll be different about this conversation. What do you predict in the crystal ball at Legacy? Talk to me. Um, well, I think a lot of what we're talking about today is engaging with customers and, and content and giving the content that they want. And a lot of, you know, we're already seeing social media platforms, you know, recognizing the demand for making content more customizable. Um, me as a user or you as a user going in and able to, you know, control the type of content that we see in our news feeds. And I think that in the future, it's just going to go to the next level, right? And so I think what we're going to see is, that, you know, giving users the power to create almost their own system of content provisioning um, and being mm-hmm. able to adapt on the fly and intuitively, intuitively kind of provide what I want. So I think it's going to go to the next level and become even more hyper-targeted. Thank you very much. Hyper-targeted, I like that. That's a power phrase there. We have to start a hashtag for that. I'm into hashtags today. Selim Assyrian, I can give you a whole 60 seconds for your predictions. What do you see? Uh, Well, you mentioned chatbots. I'm doing a lot of work uh, these days on sort of machine learning, cognitive learning, and I, I think that we have always thought of these technologies um, as sort of really far out there. But the fact of the matter is that they are disrupting today and they're very much relevant today. Um, so I think for marketers, you know, th- these technologies are going to really enrich our brand communications exponentially. I think it's going to impact it in ways that we can't even anticipate when these machines that are connected to each other, they're learning from each other, and they're, you know, aggregating all this data and they're feeding us kind of all these insights on a totally different level that we didn't have um, and giving us the ability to automate things and to create new custom conversations. I, I think it's just going to be a really dynamic rich time for content marketers. I like that. Dynamic, rich time for content market. It's got some good, good buzz advice here. Thank you. Tara Mead. Oh, I have a whole 90 seconds for you. We might have to come up with a bonus oh round here. <laughs> I know, I know. They were so efficient, Lisa and Sal. I appreciate it. Left a little more time for you. So, Tara, take your time. What's your prediction, please? Well, I, you know, agree with my learned friends, obviously, that, you know, the artificial intelligence of the Internet of Things is obviously, you know, um, is going to make a big uh, difference, as you say, that it's already happening now that, you know, content is going to be become so, um, you know, targeted individual in, you know, your individual requirements that I think it becomes even more important to try and keep that human touch, right? And, you know, maybe almost a retro back to, um, you know, marketing of the past sometimes that we might, I think it would be great to have a balance of the two, but also I think having that humor inter- human interaction that it shouldn't all be on on the internet or on devices, that it's, you know, putting down the device and actually going to, to meet a customer face-to-face, having a cup of coffee, picking up the phone, having that, that um, human-to-human interaction I don't think is going to go away and it shouldn't go away, um, you know, based on um, all of the advances that we're going to have from a, from a social point of view. So I think companies, even though, we, you know, it's great to be using all of these new technologies, I still think we, we need to, to uh, 
think it's, you know, it's one person dealing with another at the end of the day and just keeping that human interaction and originality and authenticity, I think is going to help um, small to medium businesses succeed. Thank you very much. I am so appreciative of the three of you, of your thoughtfulness, your thought leadership, uh, your interest in the topic, your words of wisdom. Lisa Durrett, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Same for Stella Masirian and Tara Mead. And again, a shout out to, I'll call her our fearless leader, Lorraine Maurice, wherever you are. Lorraine, they were great. Really good content. Really good talk. There we go. Good content. And we're in the right place with the right people, the right conversation, and the right subject matter. So I'm, I'm very pleased. And thank you to the three of you. It's just about time for us to say goodbye. Kevin is telling me, uh, yes, this was a doubleheader day for me. This is the end of our broadcast week. There were five live shows this week on Game Changers Radio, and I also moderated a panel discussion on the topic of technology and ethics for a course SAP is sponsoring on our open SAP thought leadership MOOC platform with some of our Game Changers panelists from previous shows. So it's been kind of busy. I want to thank again Lisa Durrett. Thank you for your time, Lisa. Wonderful speaking with you. Selim Assyrian, same thing. And Tara Mead, come back anytime, ladies. I'll tell Lorraine you did great. And a thank you and a shout out to Kevin Gassman at World Talk Radio for getting us on the air and keeping us there. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Have a great week. We'll be back next Tuesday morning with more live Game Changers Radio. Five new shows next week. Can't wait. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. Then have a little chocolate. That's what I'm going to do after the show. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Just like Lisa. Just like Sella. Just like Tara. Just like me. Have a good one. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.